for the people that are a hundred percent bought into the fact that if we don't reduce global warming by 1.5 degrees Celsius over a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, there's no turning back. There's no turning back, mm-hmm. and it's like the apocalyptic view. If you're in that camp, then you had no choice but to set the deadline. Welcome to Energy Sense, the common sense approach to energy news, trends, and ideas. And we've been talking about politics and how it can cloud the discussion of energy. And we're going to get down and be real about it. That's right. Bring some common sense to this industry. In the industry you are in, you all are engineers. You're making things happen. You're business owners. You're building owners. You're people who are having to make changes because of the energy transition. And some of those practical pieces of knowledge and the things that you're just trying to do to succeed, it's getting clouded by politics a lot of times. Absolutely. I mean, let me be very clear. As a company and as my personal mission, I want to and am participating in this transition, right? I just believe that this transition is going to be over a very long period of time and the whole scheme of things, right? I don't have an end date of 2030, 2040, whatever, right? So you're right. You're absolutely right. Everything we think in binary terms as far as being engineers and being business owners and selling projects and helping to provide value to folks that want to build these projects and do these things, whether it's solar, batteries, or winds, or whatever it is, right? We have a passion for that advanced technology and the innovation and the movement forward to constantly innovate and find new things and and do things better. But you're absolutely right. When I started this business in 2014, I shortly thereafter joined some groups in 2015 and, you know, was not going to mention the specific groups, but I was welcomed with open arms. These folks obviously saw my passion and, and were super willing to help out and, and connect everybody. And we have been able to grow our business in part, number one, because of the, the success of our team. Kudos to them. And number one, because of our clients. But outside of that, because of the industry growing and the economic development coming out of this, this energy industry, we've been able to grow our business. And we're very fortunate because of that. So we don't want to deny that or, or not include that in the discussion. but. As of recent, we have experienced um, criticism from folks that are in those groups because we don't agree with every single thing that's in their laundry list of items when it comes to the climate discussion. Well, let's let's use an example of a recent gathering we had. It was a networking event. One of the reasons is to go to these is that you get to hear other perspectives. And but there was someone that came up to me and I was telling them about what your company did and some of the energy things you're helping clients with. And she said, uh, well, I hope he isn't for nuclear because X, Y, and Z. And it, it kind of turned into a political discussion. That's not really what you're dealing in day to day. You might be curious about nuclear and see benefits and maybe some drawbacks and how to balance it, but you're not really someone who needs to be in that fight over the environmental impact of nuclear. Well, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, most business owners out there can probably relate to this when you try to separate your your personal viewpoints from the mission of your company. Of course, those things are intertwined and we have a certain culture within our company that is definitely, uh, you know, 
driven by me at the helm of that. But my personal opinions on the larger discussion around climate or policy or policy uh, has no direct impact on my business day to day, month to month. Now, of course, there's legislation uh, in the long term. You know, we're talking five, 10, 15 years out. Um, there's legislation that is driven that creates laws that may or may not help or hinder our business growth, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it comes down to us innovating. It comes down to us constantly learning what do our clients want. We're yeah, not, because we're not even thinking about you're policy. really there just to help people. It's right. not about getting involved in the laws. It's about, uh, okay, well, what's the reality of the situation right now? And some of it is personal mission. I mean, I think probably everyone in your company and all of your clients believe in treating the environment well, conservation. There is some personal philosophy in there. But yeah, you have to be neutral in a lot of ways too, or just look for the common sense. Well, I don't think it's, you have to be neutral. I mean, I I certainly understand where people come from, particularly in the early years when they're first starting their business, Uh, they kind of have to like tiptoe around. And it's the same thing with having a big corporate job where there's a lot of, you know, bureaucracy or, or regulations and rules where, you know, you're afraid to upset someone, you might get fired, right? There's absolutely, you know, I could totally understand that. Um, as a seasoned business owner and as someone who is is now more confident than ever in our mission as a company and our capabilities to provide solutions and execute on projects, I'm way less worried about that than I was yeah. in the beginning. Uh, and that just comes with time, right? But to bring it back, we're really focused on the innovation. Utility infrastructure, the energy infrastructure is absolutely critical. So you need critical partners that understand resiliency and security and, you know, along with efficiency and and clean sources of energy, right? You need someone to understand the entire package. And the people that really know that are the contractors that are on the ground working with these companies, because it's very, very different if you're dealing with a medical office building or a forward deployed army unit Mm -hmm. or a standard class A office building or a distribution and manufacturing facility. It's so different because guess what you're incorporating then? You're incorporating their mission as a company. Right. Right. right? Their mission as a company comes first, whether it's a data center or you, you can tell the wide breadth of missions that I'm discussing here. All of that comes into play. I'm not once thinking about policy right. or, you know, what Democrat or what Republican did, or did not vote, you know, for the net zero, whatever. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about that. I understand why people want to discuss those things with me and anyone in our business. Uh, and I'm totally willing and, and happy to do that. But a lot of these discussions require a lot more time and commitment to the discussion uh, and that's why I love the podcast because we can do a little bit deeper dive. We're not going to do a yeah. you know a, a three hour podcast, but we can do a little bit deeper dive on these subjects because that's what they warrant because they're a lot more nuanced than people think. And it's not just a well if you are for all of these new climate laws, then you care about the world, and if you're not, you don't care about the world and the planet that we live in. And you know, you're okay with the demise of your grandchildren. Right. I think <laughs> not everyone in your industry agrees on every little thing either. But yeah, politics clouds things. And I, I was just looking up some information on the local building laws issue that you've been talking about. Up in New York, 
when uh, it was Mayor Bill de Blasio, maybe two or three years ago, was putting forth their local law in New York, which defined the, uh, you know this better than I, but the Building energy performance standards or the performance standards, the energy standards at buildings, and they set guidelines. And if you don't follow them, you get fined. Oh, like and the you, scoring, yeah, and everything? The, yes, exactly. Yeah. New York City has its website where building owners can go to find out what the requirements are and how do I enter my information so I don't get this fine. And you go back, and there's like the second press release that Bill de Blasio put out was about Donald Trump, and it was about. Donald Trump's buildings in New York, you know, he's not following our laws. So instead of it being just a program that they wanted everybody to do, he was using it to score political points at the time. You know, and was this a government website or like his like campaign website? Well, he's or? the mayor. So it's his. Right. Yeah. I mean, they passed the law and he was there to enforce it and, and hold press conferences yeah, about it. I mean, and he, I'm sure there were many more buildings other than Donald Trump's buildings, but can't really escape the, the politics. And here in Virginia, we have Governor Yunkin, who you know is currently in a debate with a lot of the energy and environmental folks about participating in Reggie right. and what's the future of uh, alternative energy in Virginia and how right. do the utilities do with that? So you come into it at a different point in the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're at the, I mean, what we believe is like the ground level, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, from our military days. I mean, listen, we, I don't personally don't have the bandwidth uh, with everything going on to even really listen to a lot of that stuff. I mean, I take it in on the fringes just like anybody else, uh, especially when it's coming from a mayor. We're more focused on uh, industry specific solutions, representation from industry when major policies, you know, like with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and Inflation Reduction Act and these funds coming down. We're just more interested in making sure that industry is represented and that regions and localities are represented in the proper way because there's not one fits all solution across the board in regards to uh, clean energy, energy efficiency, right? All these topics that we deal with, there's not, it has to be custom. And of course, you have to create some type of legislation at some point. You can't customize a program for every single company or industry or locality, but the ones that are vastly different, it's very important. Let's take, for example, Local Law 97, Local Law 88, uh, the DC, I think it's DC 2257. Basically, I'm naming off these benchmarking and scoring requirements for buildings that basically mandate and force building owners to continue to improve the efficiency of their buildings, right? And yep. it started off at larger buildings, like 50,000 square feet and above. And it's, uh, I think the plan, at least in DC up to 2025 is to go all the way down to buildings at 10,000 square feet or more, right? Yeah. And so you have people that, you know, eventually building owners, and this of course affects their balance sheet and their P&Ls and everything like that, they're going to abide by the laws or else they're going to face you know, whatever those consequences, the same thing when they said you can't smoke in bars anymore. Right. Some people are yeah. like, all right, well, we'll pay the fine. And some people are like, okay. And most people were like, okay, we won't allow smoking right. in bars anymore. Um, that will happen eventually if you let it get to that point. But the higher, like overall discussions, as long as you have representation, you know, I'm not a lobbyist. Don't ever plan to be one. I'm not a politician. Don't ever <laughs> plan to be one. Right. So never it, see never, Chris. So it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't hit my radar day to day, month to month, week to week. 
I do realize the importance of it, but we know that where we can be most effective as a team in regards to influencing that is to reach out to our industry partners. So if we're ABC, the Association of Building Contractors, or Virginia Apartment Management, you know, apartment complexes yeah. and, you know, uh, senior living facilities and these big industries that we work in, we can go to some of those networking events or those, you know, exhibit at some of their events because we're a part of their groups and say, hey, look, some of these laws are potentially coming down. You guys need to make sure that you're represented and that you understand the impact that what they're going to have on your you. specific business because- the balance sheets and P&Ls and the energy infrastructure and the criticalness of it are vastly different, like we talked about, right, across the spread of the, all those different clients. So my biggest concern is for them specifically to be represented as an industry, not to influence the mayor on whether I think, you know, Trump's buildings are, are efficient enough or whatever. You see you see where I'm kind of drawing the... Yeah. And, you know, in Virginia, where we are, has been criticized for not having strict enough building codes in place that are energy efficient. But at some point, a lot of people who own businesses and buildings, they're also trying to do their own day-to-day, keeping things going, getting tenants, um, ha- keeping everybody happy. And I think a lot of them are going to wake up and say, oh, wait, there's a... I have to do what by when, and if I don't, it's going to cost me that much. (laughs) So you're also trying to keep people informed and educated and up to date so they don't have those repercussions. Right. And so when those policies are made, so for example, you know, you talked about Reggie before, right? When, when Reggie was- Which is the regional regional greenhouse greenhouse gas initiative. So it's a region of states, I believe it's Pennsylvania, Virginia, I don't know, there's a few of them, right? And essentially, they participate in um, some type of like carbon credit program. It's 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 not even very easy to explain, obviously, but essentially, it's a program, okay. And when they came out with it, they did financial studies, I believe, out of Virginia Tech, to come up with you know to set the pricing on these carbon buyback, you know, offset, mm-hmm. just the pricing of it all, right? Right. When the program actually got implemented. They were about two to three years out, two to three years even beyond that. Now we're talking about you're still using metrics from five, six years ago, financial metrics that influence actually how this program works. And they're way outdated. You've got inflation, you've got labor shortages, you've got supply chain issues. You have all these things that impact construction projects and solar, LED, weatherization, like all this stuff. And it's not taken into account. And so that's when you run into issues. And so that's why I talk about these industries being represented because the financial metrics of these industries are vastly different from manufacturing to senior living to data centers to this to that. And if you have a forceful, like forced mandate onto an industry, you you have to have done the financial studies of what that impact is going to be on that locality or that, you know, Mm -hmm. industry, because you could potentially set off like an irreversible, you know, negative economic impact on that industry. And you could potentially do major damage. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, you know, pessimistic person by any means. And I think people would be able to correct pretty quickly, but you definitely don't want to have that kind of negative financial impact. And, 
And what I'm really talking about here is massive change over a short period of time. One of the biggest issues that I have with some of the discussions that we get into with people that come to me about policy change and should this be enacted, should this be passed, is you have to look at the amount of change that you're trying to create over a short period of time. And then the other argument is, well, the utility companies, they were always the slowest to innovate out of anybody. Okay. They've been the, you know, typical slow movers, you know, conservatives don't want to make changes, don't want to innovate. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that point, but I kind of see where they're coming from over a long span. I mean, I think we could have incrementally started to innovate, but you also have to realize how much innovation has happened from 1990 to 2022 compared to 1970 to 1990, right? Things we weren't even thinking about. I mean, you have a complete shift in the way that everybody interacts on a day-to-day basis. The fact that we're able to do this podcast. I mean, before we had Howard Stern, that was right. it. Like there was, you know, Tom Green, nobody knew who Joe Rogan was, right? So right. you have the invention of the internet. Right. You have, you know, that technology incorporating into the grid. And then of course you have, you know, technological innovation and just improvement in general in the way that we monitor, measure, use energy at the building system level. You mentioned deadlines and the span of time. And I was thinking about, okay, 2016 was seven years ago. And it doesn't seem like that far. (laughs) So seven years from 2023 is going to be 2030. Okay. And a lot of these deadlines that are coming up, the U.S. government is trying to be carbon neutral by 2050. And then, you know, they want a 65% reduction by 2030. And a lot of companies you're seeing are coming forward and setting deadlines. But there's also, I think, going to be a scramble. I mean, you have to set goals and deadlines, but is it arbitrary? And are things going to happen by then? Is there enough time? Well, you said you have to set goals and deadlines. I I think you, what you have to do is you have to create a path for people to understandably know where they're going. We do the same thing in business. We have short, medium, long-term goals, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. you do personally. Yeah. Do you have to set deadlines? Mm, no, <laughs> because inevitably, even if those deadlines are unreachable, the thought process behind setting those deadlines is to just get everyone collectively going in the and re- and the whoever set the deadline would say it's the right direction, but a direction collectively, uh, and to kind of do the best they can. It's like shoot for the stars, land on the moon type analogy. So that's why I believe these deadlines were set. I don't actually think that the people that set these deadlines thought that these deadlines would be met. I think it's for the people that are 100% bought into the fact that if we don't reduce global warming by 1.5 degrees Celsius over a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. Mm-hmm. And it's like the apocalyptic view. If you're in that camp, then you had no choice but to set the deadline. Then say, yes, I'm a part of that camp. Yes, you know, whether it's COP26 folks or Paris Climate Accord people or whatever it is, like internationally, we've set these deadlines. So we are committed to doing this. From a pragmatic standpoint, those deadlines are not going to be met. Well, this and, is- and, and everybody's, you know, I'm going to get pushback from that, but they're absolutely not going to be met just from, uh, from an engineer's perspective. 
because even if we were to really like make the change over, you know, that much change over that short a period of time, I actually believe it would be catastrophic. I don't know if this is in line with what you're saying, but I was, you know, I think a lot of this filters down to, to folks who may not even understand the energy industry. They just understand the deadlines. There was some local school district I was reading about that said, oh gosh, well, we better electrify all of our school buses by such and such. And we're going to pass our local law to make that happen. And then they get into it. And a few years down the road, they discover this is way more expensive than anyone thought. Oh, and also the technology is going to change. We might have crumbling school buildings that need to be taken care of. So what are the priorities? And then I was even thinking on the larger side, some of the airlines, you know, the airlines are talking about, we're going to have our planes, you know, flying on hydrogen, but now with me on it, <laughs> but, or, you know, we're going to reduce, we're going to do all these things. But then you look at what happened just recently with Southwest airlines and our own computer system can't handle storms. You know, we had that huge backup and everybody was grounded for days and days. Well, that's something very basic that has nothing to do with energy efficiency. So yeah. how can I we- mean, I'm glad you brought I'm glad you brought in the perspective uh, about the the crumbling schools. I mean, facility managers and engineers that work with service providers that work with facility managers on a day to day basis at these schools were laughing hysterically when they were got funded to do HVAC retro commissioning on systems that should have been replaced five years ago or systems that weren't operating correctly because there was a hole in the roof, right? So like these people went completely backwards and said, look, we've been trying to fight for years for funding to repair the roof, to improve the HVAC systems so we can improve the air quality just to the basic level. And now all of a sudden, because COVID broke out, now we've got $2 million to whatever, buy air purifiers or whatever. It's like you're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Chris, we had a school in Richmond I, I visited. It was so bad that in the boys' bathroom downstairs, it felt like it was 90 degrees. And upstairs, it was freezing to where the, you had to put a coat on. The art teachers downstairs told me that she had to literally open and close a window throughout the day to regulate the temperature. And on top of that, they didn't have an elevator to go down to the basement. So they, if you were a child in a wheelchair, how could you get down to the art classes? And then meanwhile, we're going to put solar panels on the roof when the water fountains aren't working. I mean, exactly. And and you laugh, but I mean, there was a major, major discussion about including, and, and I'm using the the word specifically, including energy resiliency into a lot of this funding, which then included building envelope, you know, insulation, roofing, that sort of thing to be able to be paid for on ESPC and ESCO type contracts where everything's funded because project managers and facility engineers were laughing going, you want to put solar panels on the roof and the roof's 25 years old with 50 holes in it, right? It really is sad when you, you know, i as a Marine for five years who lived in the barracks. I mean, I was on the USS Saipan in 2005 drinking fuel out of, you know, my coffee cup. Like, mm. I mean, the infrastructure of some of these facilities that these kids lived in um, are just horrible. I'm getting videos now where people are coming back to their barracks room after being in the field for two weeks and there's mold growing on the walls mm. and, 
you know, they're pulling their clothes out of the washers and dryers and there's just mold. It's absolutely ridiculous that we can't just meet the standards that are set in this country, especially for people that serve their country and for children that go to school that are mandated to go to school every day. Uh, and to learn and need an environment to learn. And and for some of these people, particularly in really rural areas and then even, you know, in the cities, school is the most normal place for them every day. School is the most safe place for them every day. School is the only place that they go where people actually care about them every day, right? And take care of them. And you mean to tell me that you can't get, give them the just minimum standards, just the ASHRAE or whatever minimum standards, but now all of a sudden you want to go hundred percent clean by whatever, you know, that's that perspective is what makes a lot of it laughable. And that's the disconnect. And that's where that is the disconnect. And that's where I get really frustrated because people don't want to talk about the pros and cons of these discussions. They only want to talk about their pros. Well, clean energy and, you know, weatherization and energy efficiency and all these things they're going to improve those, Chris. They're going to improve those. And we're finally getting the funding, mm-hmm. you know, to do those things because of this. Mm-hmm. Well, to meet the minimum standards shouldn't, shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to find that funding, riding it on the backs of the clean energy discussion. It should be a discussion of itself. And to bring it back to politics, I don't think anybody's intentionally trying to do something harmful. They're getting money and they, they've read about how great these energy changes are. But then you have school board members who are elected and they're not really coming to the board with engineering experience or, you know, they're learning about buildings where they can and they're and maybe be, they should be. Yeah. Maybe but, they may, yeah. <laughs> but who are, you know, who's in charge of these things? And we saw during the pandemic too is when they were about to buy all these ionic cleansers for the air. And then someone pointed out, oh, they may not be great for the air quality after all. They're trying to do the right thing. They just don't have the expertise. And that's where engineers and building but it doesn't, specialists can come in. I, I agree with you. And I think the people on the school board and, you know, people, I mean, I'm not s- super in tune with like the decision tree of how this stuff happens, but like people in important roles that make decisions on the funding, they absolutely should have an engineer, have uh, a facility manager, have somebody with experience on the ground level to talk about what's going on now, what changes need to be made. It doesn't take an expert for me to walk onto a facility and take pictures of mold on the wall or leaking water pipes or lights left on in the middle of the day. Like that's, it's very apparent, right? Um, The problem is, is that, you know, again, I, I don't know how and why there's so much focus on clean energy and sourcing renewable energy and buying renewable energy credits and all these other things for this climate mission when the minimum standards aren't even met. You know, meet the minimum standards first. That would be like, somebody trying to like overhaul one of those ships that we were on and like make it all brand spanking new, but not teach all the guys that are going on the ship not to mess it up. You have to fix these things and and make these decisions and fund these programs in the correct way. When, you know, one of the things I'm worried about right now with, you know, the EV charging um, industry and the massive 
innovation that is happening in the space. I love it. I love the the connected services and and the ability to operate these these machines and and just do some amazing stuff and and of course support the movement of, you know, electric vehicles. I mean, I think they're just really cool cars to own and and fun fun yeah. to drive and you know, outside of of the the clean energy discussion about them. But because it's new and people haven't done these projects much, there's a lot of lessons being learned right now. A lot. And the major funding hasn't even like hit the ground yet on this stuff. I mean, they're talking about billions and billions of Nevi dollars coming down for EV infrastructure or EV charging stations, which by the way, need infrastructure. So it's funny when we're looking at the the funding, I'm going, well, how much of it is actually going to be to buy EV charging stations and then the connected services involved with that and then the contractors to put in the charging stations? And then what percentage of it is just infrastructure? Like what percentage of it is, well, we need to upgrade that power station or we need to create power in this area that we don't have it or we need to dig mm-hmm. a a ditch a few thousand yards over to the... I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure. And how is, will that affect the environment? Right, because you know? as an engineer, you know that you lose power the further distance you go away yeah. from the source of energy. Like, But again, a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, look, nobody's buying EVs because we don't have enough EV chargers and this and that. And it's like, well, you really have to understand like from an engineering perspective what it takes. And then secondly, it's more like human factors, right? Like the thinking of like, okay, where would I actually charge my car? How long would I want to be there? Can I leave it plugged in even after it's charged and just take up the space from someone else? Am I going to be able to access that? Do I need Mm -hmm. to access it with an RFID card? Like there's a whole laundry list of questions that we go through when we talk to a client about EV charging that they didn't even think of, you know, when they yeah. said we're going to buy this. It's like, well, we just have funding or we have to get it done. And yeah, or we have a sea level <laughs> that has a Tesla or whatever it is. <laughs> Amid all this confusion and misunderstanding sometimes that exists, uh, there are companies and there are people that are more than happy to take advantage of that confusion and come in and make the money and uh, not worry about the priorities and the politics. And that's the situation we're in right now is there's so much changing and there's so much to learn. Everything's happening really fast. Absolutely. And I think, you know, by the way, I understand the impact of analysis paralysis and, you know, studying too much or observing too much and not enough action. I absolutely agree that there's a healthy balance with that. But I am alarmed at some of the issues that we're already seeing, particularly in the EV charging space. Um, you know, it's, it's similar to, you know, I kind of relate it to uh, the <laughs> cell phone charging uh, cords, right? Okay. So they finally, like, I believe came out like a couple of years ago and they like, and this is different in the EU and the US and all this stuff, but they were like, look, so you can't keep changing charging cords every year <laughs> right, and expect right. somebody to like just buy a new product just cause, or one company's like, you got to go with our standard. They're going to have to standardize yes. uh, the plugs. They're going to have to standardize the efficiency mandates of, of how these charging stations are built. You know, I read an article the other day um, with, I think it was Chris Kaiser. We, we talked about him before. I think we're going to have him on the podcast that he wrote, you know, there's not that much difference between charging from, you know, 25 KW to like a 50 or 75 KW. Mm. Basically what that means is like, none of these charging stations are really standardized. And so the way that they're marketing them are very different. 
So one company might mark, well, I have a DC fast charger, a DCFC that charges in 20 minutes. And then it's like, well, people don't understand that the rate that the battery charges at depends on how full or not full the battery is. So like, if you notice, if you plug your phone in, and then it's at like 5%. It'll, it gets to 40% pretty quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. But from 40 to 100, it takes a little bit longer, typically. Same thing in an EV car. Since you mentioned phones, that also takes me back to um, the days before iPhone. And I don't know if you're, you're maybe too <laughs> yeah, young. Yeah, pre-2007. Yeah, a bunch of my friends all, you know, the big high-tech thing was mobile phone companies. And there were, you know, there were 10 carriers in the area. And a lot of my friends that were involved in sales, they all wanted to go work for, uh, you know, Intelos and Verizon and T-Mobile and all these. St- I mean, there were more that whose names aren't around anymore. Sprint. Nextel. Nextel. Sprint. I mean, this was the big deal. And they'd have giant rallies and you'd make tons of money. But that was all before the iPhone even came out. And they were racing to see what was the phone going to be like. Then all of a sudden that changed. And so we don't know where we're headed. Then you had the flip screen with the keypad. And then you had the Blackberry. <laughs> and you have to the hit keypad. the key five times to get to the right letter. And you couldn't, we're, you couldn't we're take pictures. ourselves with our, with our I listeners know. here. Well, the pictures we thought were so cool, but they were all, you know, pixelated and weird. But my point is, if we're... We graduated to the iPhone. And, yeah, now, and, and now most people have an iPhone. Most people have an iPhone. The carriers aren't as important because you just change those with no problem. By you the way, T-Mobile just deal. bought Mint Mobile from Ryan Reynolds for like $1.3 billion. I saw that. That guy is so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, But you know, who knows where things are headed? We might... We don't know what the iPhone of the energy efficiency world is going to be or EV charging or... Yeah, but they haven't really thing. changed that much in the last few years, minus the uh, just storage capacity, which is kind of all in the cloud now, and the camera. So you re- you do reach a plateau with innovation, right? Like when we... I mean, obviously through the industrial revolution and like up to the utility grid that we have now, like we've reached a plateau for a while. Well, we're on what iPhone 14 or 15 now, and they only change in slightly right. incrementally. Right. Right. So incremental changes are, are accepted and they're, and they're not mm-hmm. drastically making crazy amounts of change over a short period of time that could be detrimental. So I think, again, we are in a rapidly innovating super exciting stage of growth for the energy industry. And I'm very, very excited about it. I love it. Um, there's a lot of focus on it. But I think when you talk about wide scale disruption or wide scale adoption of some of these technologies, you want it to happen quickly, but you also want to make sure that you have the best version of that technology to deploy on a wide scale first. Yeah. If everyone in the country bought solar panels in 2009, they would have paid about 150% more. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. For solar panels. There's a reason why there was no wide scale adoption. You know, it's just economics. Um, same thing is going to go for EV charging. Focus on the infrastructure, focus on improving the schools, improving the barracks improving the utility grid infrastructure, energy security, energy resiliency. And then, and also you can do multiple things at one time. Like we can still do uh, improving the efficiency of, of the energy usage at our buildings and decarbonizing our existing built environment. We can incorporate green building strategies and new construction, and we can improve the grid that we have now to access more clean and renewable energy at the same time 
but also understand the importance and the focus of that infrastructure in the beginning to be able to support it. Yeah. And doing it at the right time, because as you know, in business and you're a business owner, Jason, too, not only are your decisions important, but the timing of your decisions are important. Well, that's why the Energy Sense podcast is here to have these common sense discussions, practical information that can be used and kind of navigate around some of the bigger policy and uh, politics. Absolutely. And I'll reiterate, I am uh, very open-minded. I always love learning from different people with different viewpoints. Uh, So if you agree or disagree, or you're listening to one of the podcasts and you want to come on and talk, um, I am happy to talk. I love reading all new kinds of books. So if you got different books or different literature that, you know, you can send our way to, to help inform us, we are not set in stone, you know, with our ideologies and the way that we view things. We're very, uh, you know, we look at things from a very pragmatic standpoint, again, as engineers and as people in construction, uh, and focused on increasing the efficiency of buildings and uh, building renewable energy projects for these companies. But that doesn't mean that all of our views are accurate, 100% or right or whatever. So if you have a different viewpoint, and you want to come on the podcast to discuss it, I am more than open to talking to anyone about it. And it's fun to hear about these new innovations from people who are on the ground doing it too. I mean, that's Absolutely. one of the most interesting things. Before we go, I want to mention you speaking of practical things, you've started a video series on energy saving tips that people can find on LinkedIn. So if people search for Bowerbird Energy, you're putting those out every Wednesday, real quick, easy, down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, however much I can get out in about three to four minutes, uh, we're going to be posting these videos, everything from solar to lighting, HVAC, EV charging, policy, um, compliance, energy environmental management, ISO standards, you name it. So we're going to just do a little blurb about uh, each of those topics. Uh, Some of them might be more, um, you know, like tips and tricks and different resources and toolkits that people can immediately bring back to their business and use. Uh, And then some of it might just be, you know, a little bit more informative and just kind of maybe pose some questions to some folks that are looking at these projects or uh, looking at studying these topics a little bit more might pose the questions a little bit different and get them to look at it a different way. Yeah. And then also wanted to mention that for folks who are in the Virginia area to look out for the April issue of Virginia Business, you're going to be mentioned in there. You were asked to participate in an article on alternative energy and some of the changes going on with the transition in the April issue. We don't know what it's going to say yet. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't get to see the article before it comes out, but you'll be in there. And also when this episode comes out, you'll be at the Veteran Edge Conference in Dallas. We'll both be there, but you'll be you'll be on stage speaking. So yeah, what are you going to talk about? I can't wait. I, this is my favorite conference of the year. Uh, personally, uh, you know, as a veteran and an entrepreneur, I jump the chance to you know get involved with the Institute for Veterans and Military Families uh, and the Veteran Edge National Yearly Conference. Any chance I get and to talk to these veterans, uh, most of them are are in either startup or growth stage, uh, you know, usually one to five years, one to 10 years in business. I mean, I just love seeing them flourish like in the network um, and just really connect with each other. But we're going to be talking about sales and the growth mindset. So the growth mindset, kind of the mindset that an entrepreneur needs to be in and understand the impact of what that growth and those sales on their business, not only on their business, but on their personal life uh, might have. 
uh, and then go into some more of the strategies in regards to sales and growing revenue for your business. That's so, great. Not everybody there obviously is in the energy industry, but a lot of veterans have gone into that industry, including you. And we're talking to one of them to record a podcast there. So that'll be coming up soon too. We'll be talking yeah. About I mean, most people aren't in the energy industry that are down <laughs> there. It's It's a wide range. We've got a popcorn manufacturer, oh, distributor. We've got uh, people that do technologies for uh, the special operations community. I mean, it's just a wide breadth of businesses yeah. that uh, veterans are involved in down there. So yeah, super excited to get down there. And we, we will be talking to a veteran that's in the energy space. I won't drop the name right now, but excited to talk to him and see what that podcast and that technology is all about. And if you have an idea for a guest or you want to hear about a certain topic, please let us know at info at bowerbirdenergy.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll follow our podcast and share it with a friend and subscribe. Well, that was a fun, non-political uh, podcast there, Jason. Are you going to say like, <laughs> we'll see you next time? We'll see you next time. <laughs>